You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Raj. Hello and welcome to the Comic Book Informer. This is Roger coming to you on Wednesday, the 20th of March. I even got the date ready. That is how prepared I am for today's episode. With me, same as usual, is the ever non-prepared Vince. I'm prepared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> hey, now that the show notes are up, you have no excuse. <laughs> oh yeah, great. I have to read all the comics live. Yeah, really. <laughs> for those who missed conversation before this yeah i basically just got the show notes up right before the show that's how prepared i am today <laughs> normally hey come on normally i'm better than this you got to give me that it's okay you're, you're still more organized than dc yeah oh, jesus all right so this week <laughs> we are going to actually tackle both a an old series as well well no i shouldn't say series an old event as well as a new mini series that just ended and again i wanted to stick away for, with the new stuff, at least from the the Marvel and DC stuff that we've been talking about so much lately. So I thought we'd go with uh, a series that I've talked about periodically here and there. You have kind of groaned whenever I have mentioned what? it. You you kind of have. You, you've mocked I'd me. Prove it. I'm not going back through all the episodes to find it, but you know it happened. And that's going to be Mouse Guard from Archaea, and it's the Black Axe series that just ended not that long ago. So we'll talk about that later, but first we're going to tackle, oh, and it's a biggie too, and I didn't realize it was going to be this big, <laughs> the Evolutionary Wars. And this took place back in, what was it, 80, uh, come on, I'll find it, 89, I believe. No, 88. And this was a crossover event that happened and what was unique about it is that it happened in in a bunch of the summer annuals that came out. And so you wound up getting this story and there'd be the the kind of crossover event that was happening in that series. But then at the end of most of these annuals, there was also a short little piece that was the story of how the high evolutionary came to be, essentially. So you got two stories kind of for the, the price of one. And and there's a lot of words in these. <laughs> not only are it's these the annuals. 80s. Yes, not only is it annual and so they're bigger to start with but yeah it's the 80s so we've got some some very wordy writers we got uh, jerry conway steve engelhart louise simonson uh, chris claremont and steve gerber they were the most of them who had who tackled this and so this kind of worked through x factor punisher silver surfer new mutants amazing spider-man fantastic four uncanny x-men uh, Web Spider-Man, West Coast Avengers, and then at the time, Spectacular Spider-Man was also going. Uh, Avengers, Thor even, and then there was even a what if at the end. Um, and like I said, this is massive, okay? I, th I saw this, like you were saying too, and I saw how many issues I'm getting. Okay, I can, I can pound this off. I, I, I read these pretty fast. And then I started reading them. And it's like, oh my God. And we've talked about this before, how... Back then, they 
Everything had to be explained. And it's like the writers didn't trust the artists enough either to convey what was going on. They got to tell you everything that's happening. Yeah, it's just that it is so funny because at the time, like, I don't know about you. I mean, this particular uh, event was kind of just before I was really getting into mainstream comics. I think at this point I was still reading like Archie's or something, but uh, you'd have been a kid at that time, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was like, I think just after this is when I started getting into the X-Men and like at the time I was like, Oh, you know, it, it didn't affect me. I was a kid. What did I know? Of course, now looking back at it, I'm like, Oh man, <laughs> this would have literally been um, right after I'd stopped reading comic books. God, you're um, old. So, uh, so yeah, I just stopped. I was in, uh, in my teens and I'd stopped reading comic books. And, uh, and so I didn't actually read this at the time. And it's funny because going through this too, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I didn't like research this beforehand or whatever. It's just, I thought, you know what, we'll tackle this one and just go with it and see what it, it, it was like and all that. And I didn't realize, um, beforehand the importance of some of the things that actually happened oh, yeah. in this there's some pretty major stepping stones here that occurred that then paved the way for very specific characters and whatnot and it took a little bit of 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 research and, and wikipediaing <laughs> to figure out some of it and i still haven't figured it all out um but yeah to just kind of put it all together all the puzzle pieces together well, and I mean, look no further you know in the first issue x factor you had beast when he was still human and then in the last issue with avengers he's blue <laughs> a, a lot happened in the meantime <laughs> <laughs> so just to quickly talk about what this is too um it's a story about this, this, uh, the high evolutionary. And before he became this high evolutionary, he was the, the world's best geneticist, essentially. And he was working on ways to basically jumpstart evolution and be able to get people to the next phase of their, their evolution. So whatever that may be. And it kind of, when you're reading the backstories where you see how it came to be and whatnot, the character's really hard to believe that anybody would kind of be like this. I found at least I, it was, it was not only can't you relate to him, but it just felt like it was so forced all the time because it's especially, so extreme. Yeah. Especially when we have more interesting characters that are kind of along the same lines and, you know, apocalypse or even Mr. Sinister. I mean, he's, he's, He's really because at this time, you know, a lot of the the X Men stuff was segregated from the rest of Marvel. So he was basically the Fantastic Four slash Avengers you know, like equivalent to you know Sinister and Apocalypse and stuff. It was hey, we want to tell those cool stories, but you know, not steal their characters. Yeah. So he doesn't have much going for him, but anyway, so he, he decides that he wants to keep working on this, and he's finding it hard to get money from from institutions or schools or whatever and then he partners up with with this guy um who just happens that his wife was left this land so they they head over there and um to what is it tanzia or some damn thing it's, they they can't pick a normal place <laughs> it's some weird out of i don't know uh place anyways and then they find out that there's there's um oh, what is it that they they get the mine going because there's something uranium isn't it i think so 
Sounds about right. Yeah, Let's it's uranium. That it. the uranium mine. <laughs> like you said, there, there's a lot of words here. We can't remember all of them. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> they decide that they're going to be, you know, mining it themselves initially, and uh, and then selling selling it off, and then they have all the money that they're making from that. Which you can't. See, this is where it gets so like unbelievable and points. Yeah, we just found some uranium. We're going to mine it ourselves, um, as you do. Yeah, and then eventually somebody, some some mysterious figure comes and actually um, gives him the formula for the DNA that was before that, and then also brings in the moloids to be mm-hmm. their slave labor and then they build this huge freaking thing down there so that they can have a a, a massive science lab essentially and that that's space worthy so that they can keep experimenting and with the um this this formula to jumpstart again the evolution and he starts to work on various animals and whatnot and then so these animals become humanoid animals and then he teaches them the language and everything which was hysterical (laughs) they've all got their little earphones on and watching c for cat on a big screen and so then he's got he amasses this this big army of humanoids that he's teaching to be warriors and whatnot and then one of them is a cow and she's the chief medic apparently (laughs) yeah you thought this wasn't gonna get crazy eh? um but then there's so many other things going on at the same time as well where you've got um well the the uh the partner's daughter is dying from cancer so they give her a treatment to, to get rid of the cancer, but it's not going to incubate long enough so that he uses this evolution thing on it. And it winds up being that this daughter is Jessica Drew, who is Spider-Woman. Now, I didn't know that. Did you know that? <laughs> Jessica's backstory has been told and retold so many times over the decades that... I, it's even an ongoing joke in the comics themselves where she doesn't like to talk about her past. Cause yeah, I'm, I'm reading this and initially when they're talking about the names and, and you don't hear the, I don't believe you do. I can't remember now if you, you, you hear that it's Jessica drew or just Jessica, but that it had been tested on spiders and all that. And I'm going, no way. (laughs) And sure enough, later on, there it is. And I was like, what the hell? As if that's not enough. At one point, there's a woman who is running towards what has now become like it's almost a fortress kind of thing with these animals and all that. And um, and I'm going to look it up at one point there when when you decide to talk. And um, because she gets frightened and she's pregnant. And so while she's having the baby, um, she actually has twins. Luke and Leia. Yeah. <laughs> and during this time though, the the high evolutionary dude, he's fighting off an actual demon now at this point. Uh what is it? Chathon? Because you have to have four consonants in a row. Mm-hmm. Um so anyway, so this de- three or four apostrophes, you know, maybe yeah, a really, semicolon just for good measure. Um this demon now actually gives one of the, the, the children special abilities and whatever kind of thing. Well, you find out later that these two kids are Wanda and Pietro 
Magneto's kids. <laughs> now I'm looking through because I want to see whether or not it actually, cause I it was only reading it on wiki where it was like, she's running away because uh, Magneto demonstrated his powers and she freaked out and ran away. And I'm going, I don't remember that. I, I actually do. You do. Her. So it was yes. there. Okay. So, okay. Okay. Good. Cause I was wondering where the hell did that happen? So now, meanwhile, I don't know if this was the first time that story was told. And you know, when I read it, it was, you know, just rehashing it or, you know, I don't know exactly when that story originated, but yeah, I do. I do remember that as being always part of their storyline. Okay. Okay. So anyways, those two, the mother dies during childbirth. Later on, there's some other chick that shows up who's pregnant. This is a common theme, I'm guessing. And they want to try to... If you're pregnant in Eastern Europe, you just kind of This is where you go, there. yeah, yeah. They got a cow. He'll deliver anything you got. <laughs> and uh, and, and so, provide milk. <laughs> oh, that was bad. <laughs> um, so the um, this one... See, I don't understand what the point of that one was because she died and then they were going to try to pawn off the two kids, Wanda and, and Pietro, on on the father who just ran away screaming. And it was like, okay, well, what was the point of that? But then they wind up giving the kids anyways to some freaking gypsies and who wind up being the, the Maximoffs who raised them as their own. So, yeah, so freaking Scarlet Witch... <laughs> And Quicksilver get their origin stories from this Evolutionary Wars event that happened. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> That's the way it works. I mean, it, 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 because at, especially at this point, Marvel's big, you know, selling feature was their connected universe. You know, their characters were connected in ways that, you know, their competition Quite wasn't. Yeah, they acknowledged Superman and Batman kind of existed in the same world, but they didn't really intertwine their stories that that often, whereas that was really becoming the big thing about Marvel. You know, the Fantastic Four, you know, hey, they were hanging out with Spider-Man, you know, who, who was going on adventures with the Avengers, you know, and, and, and all this stuff. It, they were really trying to build this connected backstory between all their characters and expand the universe. And that that's the thing that I always liked about Marvel. Even if it didn't always make sense. It didn't always. That's a thing right there. So, and see, I'm actually reading the uh, the issue right now where she's running away pregnant towards them. And at no point does it say right. that it's because Magneto freaked her out. So that came somewhere I, I, else. I, I think this was just retelling her side of the story that had been established previously elsewhere. See, it makes me think that, okay, so you're saying that initially though this wasn't just that somebody thought okay well he's going to be their parents how are we going to do it okay we'll just say that this happened and like i said i don't know the actual you know chronological order that everything was published okay. in because that's to what it my feels knowledge like. this was always the story okay all right so so that's the back kind of story the the present story is that the high evolutionary is basically at the peak of his evolution at this point, And he is deciding that he is going to be cleaning up the world. He is going to assist humans in reaching their next um, evolutionary step stage, whatever. And in order to do that, he needs to get rid of anything that he thinks basically is going to slow that down. So, or other races that he thinks, you know, you guys got no use here. 
I'm going to get rid of you, which is what it starts with, with the Moloids. And then he's got his troops that he, his purifier troops that he sends down to do his dirty work. And so they are basically equipped with really high end weapons and whatnot. And it's kind of, 80s for damn sure but uh <laughs> and so you got him going after the moloids you have him going after uh various drug dealers you have him going after yeah drug dealers in both in bogota as well as in of course new york um and then this is where you introduce the the tie-ins through the various you know the x factor and spider-man and whatnot and throw in a little daredevil for good measure and they even toss in some newer at the time, um, heroes that you may not have heard of, like Speedball, which thank God he never went anywhere. <laughs> kind of did, but we'll let that go. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't see it. We'll let it go for sure. Um, and then also taking it into space with the Inhumans and the Fantastic Four and everything else there. Um, the The story gets to... I found the main storyline in the present up until they're reaching, you know, the, the Avengers toward the end was, it was a boring event. It mm-hmm. was just the same of, it was the same thing for each, uh, each issue, each uh, annual, regardless of what it was, you kind of knew what the basis of the story was going to be. It just was like a rehashing just with how is it going to apply to these heroes? I actually looked forward more to the, the flashback stories at the end than I did the actual story, the present day stories. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, they did the one thing that uh, we praise modern day uh, crossovers for doing of telling your own story that happens to work with the tie-in. Like, you know, telling a Spider-Man story, a good solid Spider-Man story that happens to take advantage of the tie-in or especially the stuff with, uh, you know, the Inhumans and the Fantastic Four. They, they told a really good, you know, Fantastic Four story that happened to involve the high evolutionary and all that stuff going on. Just, they, it, it wasn't pacing out the larger story very well. Like, like we have now, you know, when something like, say, AVX is going on, you have the central AVX series driving the narrative forward and all the tie-ins are just sort of doing their own thing. Whereas with this event, it's just all tie-ins. There was no central narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Although that being said, like you're saying, some of them were good. Some of them were pretty terrible too. Like the eighties. I know. Like the original Spider-Man one, where it was the drug dealer thing, was with the Daredevil. I thought that was ridiculous. The other one with the clone of Gwen, that was like, <laughs> okay, I'm you got me back now. Okay, I'll read this one and <laughs> what the hell's going on? Because I again, I'd stopped reading by this point, so this is all news to me. So, so yeah, there's one of the. The, uh, that was the one that was in Spectacular Spider-Man, I believe. I could be wrong. Um, and they then, all run together after a while. Yeah, and then, be, or was it Web of Spider-Man? It might have been I think Web that was of, Web, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it was Spectacular. Okay. So, yeah, it yeah. was Spectacular because it was on the cover right there, Gwen. So, um, so yeah, there's a whole story there with uh, with Gwen and finding out that it's <laughs> like a rogue Rogue clone, because they just get out. <laughs> Can't keep those good clones down. And uh, and so he has to come to terms with his feelings for her now being, or then, being married to Mary Jane and whatnot. I thought that was really good, actually. That was a, a fun mm-hmm. issue to read. Yeah, it was it was cool stuff. Okay. Did you make it through to the end with the, the Avengers final fights kind of thing? Because it yeah, was, yeah. There was several. <laughs> Where it quickly <laughs> grew out of control. Yeah. Well, I'll let you tackle this. Well, 
on one hand, like this was pretty cool because at the time this annual came out, the Avengers themselves were, you know, not in terribly good straits. So we kind of had a callback to uh, when we were talking about the hundredth issue where they just kind of opened up the roster and, okay, who's available? Yeah. So they brought in, you know, all these characters that had previously been associated with the Avengers and no longer were. So it was really cool seeing Captain America in his non-Captain America phase was uh, when he retired from being Captain America, was just calling himself the Captain. And, you know, him showing up with Beast, who's now blue. He had Grey Hulk busting in. And, you know, I'm, I'm always a sucker for a good Hercules appearance. So it was cool seeing... You know, all these classic Avengers characters who, especially at the time, you know, weren't involved with the team. And so them coming together for this big adventure, I thought it was actually pretty cool. Well, not just that, but bringing back Bill Foster, too, because they'd made mm-hmm. a big deal about the cancer thing with him. Um, and he is, what is it, Giant Man he's called? Or what's he? Goliath. Goliath, right. Uh, he, he used several names, but I think he's Goliath in this story. Um, and what was cool there, too, was how they, they didn't just kind of toss him in. He had kind of was working for the high evolutionary. Mm-hmm. He was tipping off the Avengers. So they really worked him into the story really well. And they had to because of the importance of like what he does towards the end too, because high evolutionary just kind of makes himself bigger and stuff too. Apparently that's what they all do. Uh, and so he does that too. And he fights against, against Foster, but you also had like Moon Knight as well, who is always fun to read. And especially uh, then. Yeah. And then you had, right, that was right after would have been when Hawkeye and Mockingbird split too. Mm-hmm. So you kind of had some tension going on there as, <laughs> as well. And, and then, uh, yeah, with the West Coast stuff, because the West Coast Avengers, which, you know, in the history of comics has always gone down as kind of a joke. That was always an interesting team because it had, you know, the cooler characters, like 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 you said, Moon Knight, you know, not necessarily Hawkeye because Hawkeye. But, you know, that's Iron Man was hanging out out there. You know, you had... And, and it was cool because, you know, reading up on the history of this, that really, again, brought in a lot of, you know, kind of characters that had been set aside, characters like Tigra. You know, th- this was a story that brought them in back into, you know, the main fold. And we see that throughout the crossover stuff like the X-Men, you know, for a couple of years, they'd just been kind of nomadic and, you know, just they didn't have a team. And this annual was really the event that sort of brought the team back together. And it was it's cool seeing how they really used this as a stepping stone to to drive the overall stories forward. Yeah. Actually, the X-Men one was interesting for a couple of reasons. Uh, I actually... Remembering was, Psylocke's awful pre-Ninja costume. Yeah, really. <laughs> as much as we joke about her current costume. <laughs> yeah, well, at least her ass was covered. Um, but talk about big hair. If you were a female character, <laughs> you had big hair. Freaking Rogue's hair is ridiculous. Storm, it works just because it's Storm, but my God. Uh, but yeah, and that... Even long shot. <laughs> yeah. Dude, see, that's where I remember back when I was reading, long shot had just come out. Um, and I actually had those series, the long shot series. And I, I know that it has probably lost a lot in the years that have come since kind of thing. Um, that may be one of the ones that we do next time I'm hosting because I want to go back and see, is it really as terrible now as it probably, I think it is, or does it hold up? <laughs> um, Cause I know that Leafield has a hand in there. So it's like, I'm a little worried. Um, but I remember it somewhat affectionately at the time. So when I'm reading this and I'm seeing a long shot, it's like, Oh dude, I remember you. <laughs> that was fun. And then you have all the crazy freaking mojo crap at the end which is straight up parody just nonsense 
but it can be a little fun to read, especially after the seriousness of the and other it, stuff. The ex-babies are never not entertaining. Yes, that is very true. So, so that's about it. I mean, it's... When you're looking at the series in terms of, again, the importance of things that have come from it, it's worth reading. And to enjoy the backstories at the end of each of the um, the annuals, I really enjoyed that a lot. So I do actually give this a, a recommendation in terms of something to read. Don't, don't think that you're going to pound through this in a night. Um, it's going to take a while to get through it, and it does get wordy when it doesn't necessarily have to. But I still think that it's actually worth reading just to get that backstory on a lot of things that have happened at that time. Yeah, it was pretty fun read, and it was it's really cool, you know, looking back and seeing you know the snapshot of that era and just just how much stuff was going on at Marvel back in the eighties. Like, there was so many things go like like we said, like looking back at the Beast and the X Men stuff. Like, it's there's they were just going nuts back then, and it's great to see you know really creative people just going wild with it. They're they're not they're not all hits, but you know they're trying. They're not just recycling old ideas. Okay. All right. So moving on from there now, let's talk just ever so briefly on Mouse Guard because the Black Axe series, which is a six-parter finished uh, not that long ago, and this was one that I'd actually been reading with my son and I had been picking them up each issue, but then we missed a couple and then they weren't ordering the rest in. So now we're just, we were waiting for the hardcover to come in and we'll be ordering that. But I did get these anyways and just so that I could read them online. Um, And... This is from Archaea. This is written and art by David Peterson. And I just love everything that I've read of the Mouse Guard series. I know that some people will scoff and think, oh, it's just for kids. No, no, no. These stories really are not. Yes, you can let your kids read them, but Peterson is an amazing friggin' writer especially when he's writing for this, which is supposed to be like an old period piece. So you're looking at something that would be an old English story type of thing, but it's for the the mice and whatnot. But the writing works in much the same way. The um, the landscape, the the buildings, which are you know that the mouse mice have built or other creatures have built and whatnot, are all again would look like they fit in that period and whatnot. Um, Even the buildings with like the stained glass windows and stuff (laughs) like that. These are talented mice, let me tell you. Uh, But this is the story of one character who basically goes on this quest with someone who happens to be his kin, uh, a descendant. And they go on this quest to retrieve the Black Axe, which is an axe that has been basically passed down through various members of their family throughout time for quite a long time. And there's a really um, kind of superstitious feel to it, too, that it causes basically untold mayhem wherever it goes and death and whatnot in various ways. It's a very, very... Again, well-told story. It's not often where, because I've talked about this, how too much narrative isn't good. And here, it's not, there, there, there's not a lot of dialogue. There's a lot more narrative, but it's a first-person narrative from the main character's story, uh, side of, uh, of the story, and it works. It's, it's, it's not too long. It's very well-written, and it just is beautiful in terms of, like, um, 
how he takes the story along with just this little mouse character who's a mouse guard. And you really begin to feel, again, the honor of the character and the strength of the character. And like you've seen this mouse going up against a ferret and he's ready to poke him in the eye with his sword. But everything that happens, you really you really start to care about this little freaking mouse. Yeah, because I, I, I hadn't read any of the previous Mouse Guard stuff, and I still don't know what you're saying to it. I always recognized it as something that was pretty nifty. You know, I just never checked it out. So uh, this was actually my first exposure to reading the uh, the series, and yeah, it was so it was so interesting because, like, looking back at it, I'd venture to say that if the same story had been told with humans, it kind of would have been a little uh, formulaic. Yeah, but you change the setting and, and give it this this cool backdrop of you know like you know the 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 warring houses basically just you know mice and ferrets and, and all this other stuff and it was so fun like i mean come on you had a, a pig leg mouse pirate and he was by far the best character around. <laughs> it was awesome when, <laughs> when that leg came off i was going like that was written you should have known that was coming buddy <laughs> But you have, you know, all the typical fantasy tropes of, you know, traveling to the faraway land and, you know, meeting an enemy who, who you know, has more honor than you, you thought possible. Yeah, you know, going off to slay the mighty dragon, you know, it's a fox, but, you know, what, whatever. When you're, when you're a mouse, that's as close to a dragon as you're going to find. But the way he did it and the way he established, you know, the just visually like oh yeah it was so fantastic you know having the you know the mice dressed as you know typical you know english type you know knight characters and whatnot but the ferrets were you know the more barbaric types and it was it was so so cool I, i'm really glad that uh you made me check this out yeah the it, it's like you were saying too like the these are all ideas that we've seen many times before in this type of story however because he had to adapt it to be a, a a story about these these animals, these creatures. It takes on a whole new life. It's it's it is in point all new because you don't know what is going to be that next trope or whatever. Like you're saying, like it, it can't be that he's going to fight out a dragon. What is it going to be? Oh, it's a fox. Okay, and the fox killed one of the king ferret's hair, and so heirs, I should say, and so he is besought with grief, and so that is when the the mouse guard says that he will go and take care of the fox for him in order to get the black axe from the ferret. Um, so you got so many things that again you're you know how the story should be composed and it is, it's following that, those rules, but you don't know how it's going to come about because it is so wildly different. It can't just be that they, they build a new ship to get back home because the original ship crashed. No, they got to build it together with the ferret. So you've got a freaking turtle shell and all kinds of other (laughs) stuff to to be able to make it seaworthy. Especially at that point in the story, I was like, how, there is no way possible they're going to get back home. Like, you know, it, it's, it's just completely unfeasible that, you know, they're going to, and they're just going to lash a rope together because I think they said it took what, like a month to get over there almost. So yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just the way everything came together just was perfect. See, and I felt it right away in the first issue as well, because in that first issue you have, again, the mouse guard who is training, 
uh, newer members of the Mouse Guard. And then you have this woman, well, I shouldn't say woman, this, this older female uh, mouse who shows up on the beach and she gets flown there by a crow. And so the crow is on the beach and then the, the older female uh, mouse is going and talking with the, the mouse guard and he's trying to get them into the, um, the bush so that they can hide because he knows there are some otters that are around and hunting. And again, because this can't be a just a normal kind of otters out in the wild hunting, no, no, these are, you would think, savages in any other kind of story, native savages or whatever, and they've adorned themselves with the corpses of anything that they've killed. They're vicious, they're cruel. And so you know that if they get there... How does an otter make a necklace out of teeth? Yeah, that, that would have been a little hard, but he managed. <laughs> Actually, it's the one with the skull how on his head. How does a mouse use a sword? Yeah, so, really. I mean... Uh, but anyway, so you 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 found out at this point that the, the 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 older female mouse can talk to various animals and whatnot, and so she is trying to get the crow to leave the beach so it doesn't get attacked by these otters, and it doesn't, and so the otter gets attacked viciously by or sorry the crow gets attacked viciously by the otter, and it is squawking along as it's dying. And then you see this panel of the older female mouse crying because, you know, this friend of hers is blaming her as he's dying, being ripped apart. And, it, and it's moving. It is literally quite moving at that, like right in the first issue. Yeah. And, and it was interesting to see, you know, how that came across. I had no like I said, exposure to this. So it's just trying to figure out the rules of, you know, who can they talk to? Who can't they talk to? And, and seeing how uh, Selenol kind of learns that ability as the story goes along. You know, he starts being able to talk to, you know, the foxes, and, you know, and other birds and stuff. And it has – so – Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this this takes place chronologically after the uh, the the previous two series. I'm not quite sure because I haven't read them all either. Because because he's uh, saying you know the story took place before he learned to talk to you know the other species, but by the time we get to the end of the story, he's kind of not around anymore. So I'm I'm kind of wondering. They're not all the same characters though in the same in the series, the mm. individual series. So okay. I'm actually going to be picking up more of those some of the back issues so that I can go through them all just because again I, the ones that I have read um, that I picked up for my son because whenever there are any I pick them up for my son I've I've enjoyed them so very much so I, I'm going to be going back and digging through a lot of the older ones yeah. Archaea puts together a beautiful book too so. oh my god the, 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 the art in this again and I mean we've been praising him for his writing Peterson's art is amazing I mean detailed and, and still has a a style all its own. The colors are amazing. It's just absolutely beautiful every page. I mean, he, he draws the hairs on the mouse. And, you know, how many other artists would just kind of do a little scribble there? And like, yeah, that's hair. Get over it. But it, it, it looks so organic. Like, I, I, I would be shocked if I saw a mouse in real life that wasn't wearing a cloak and carrying around a sword at this point. And then you have, like, when he goes to the 
essentially pirate cove there and you've got them all in in the bar all manner of pirates and sea guys and you got the main one who's got you know the bandana on his head and the hat and the the um carrying around a fish hook and and the earrings and and the eye patch and everything and you don't kind of it, it you don't scoff at it 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 fits in the story and it it's damn cute it looks fantastic if you'd asked any artist in the world, like draw a pirate mouse, <laughs> like they, they would all be cartoony and goofy and you'd laugh at it, but this not works. here. Yep. So again, the story progresses and uh, basically they're on this quest to get the black axe back. Um, you don't have to wait till the end for this to happen. The, the retrieving the axe is not the, the final part of this quest. Actually, it's, everything that has to happen from then on for him to survive getting back and everything else. I'm, we've already been running a little long, so we're not going to go through every single thing. I don't know if there's any highlights you wanted to mention. Not particularly. No? Okay. Like, I, I really enjoyed all the stuff with the ferrets though. Uh, yeah. because just because that was, you know, unexpected from, from what, you know, he was so hostile towards them. And, you know, the, the Kings are like, whoa, whoa, chill out, dude. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it took kind of a different route than what I was expecting as well, because again, traditionally ferret, um, wild, yes, they are hoarders and everything else kind of thing, but here, no, he's actually quite noble. And so at one point too, when, when he has taken care of the Muscar, taken care of the, uh, the fox, which that in and of itself was fantastic. Uh, when he's taking care of the fox and he goes back to honor his part of the agreement uh, and he brings the eye, one of its eyes as proof and, uh, and the bit too where they see the fox's kids and mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, again, phenomenally a written. Bambi moment there. <laughs> so brings it back to the, um, uh, the, the, the ferret king to let him know that the fox has been taken care of. Now you'll let, because the, the female older mouse had left herself with the ferret as basically proof that he would come back and not just take off with the, the axe. And, uh, and so when he gets there, he finds out that the, um, that she's dead. And so immediately goes on the defensive, but again, the king stands his ground and is honorable till the end and explains that it was one of his people who had accidentally killed her. He did, he might have probably anyways would have killed her, but it was in handling her that he uh, he killed her because she was old and feeble. And uh, they tried everything that they could to, to save her, but they show also that the king killed, put his sword right through this this ferret who had not listened to what he had said as a rule that this, this creature would not be touched. And so, yeah, you have this like honor throughout to the point of giving the, the ferret's pelt to the mice that they might <laughs> make cloaks out of them to prove what had happened. It was like so very well written throughout every aspect of it. Just appreciate for a moment that the dude killed one of his own, you know, subjects and then skinned it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It was bloody brilliant. So anyways, yes, it's a, it just came out. Like I said, or it just finished uh, just recently. The hardcover is going to be coming out soon. It's available for pre-sale right now on Amazon. We're just waiting as soon as it's over. Oh, uh, it's available so that we can order it. And I highly, highly recommend you pick it up. Like I said, it's going to be available soon. And there are lots of other um, series that you can pick up now that are done as well. Mini series that they've done and, They've all been phenomenal, the ones that I've read, and I am looking forward to reading them all. 
Mm-hmm. And like the prices are really good yes. too. Like for for a hardcover comic book, I mean, you're not spending a whole lot here. So, like I said, Arkea puts out. I mean, their Quality. free comic book day issue was a hardcover. So yeah. <laughs> they they put out really really quality products. Yeah, and they had some Mouse Guard in there too in the in in that uh, free comic book that came out. So, anyways, yeah, definitely make sure to check it out. Okay, so what have you been reading? Um, uh. From DC, uh, I finished up the uh, Animal Man and Swamp Thing. Say that again. This big Animal Man and Swamp <laughs> Thing uh, just finished up the uh, the big Rot World crossover between the two, and like we we bash on DC so much for things not making sense and you know having a very tenuous relationship with the thing we call continuity, but they did it right here. I mean, this was through eighteen issues of both comics. It was really one big storyline. Like, I'm sure you haven't read it since, you know, issue one, but you even saw there how the two stories were leading in the same direction. So we finally had this huge, big event thing going on called Rot World, where uh, Buddy and Alec are sucked into this dark future where the rot has won. And the only surviving heroes are ones who were able to resist, you know, the... uh, the decay, basically the decay could take over any flat, anything made of flesh. So you had stuff like really creative ways, stuff like Steel, who, you know, just encased himself in his armor or characters who had a really strong relationship with uh, either the red or the green. So you had like Beast Boy or Poison Ivy. You know, they were all really core characters. And I'm not going to ruin it, but Batman had an awesome role in this. And so really interesting stuff that they were doing. And I actually have to go back and read them because they even did a tie-in with the now-canceled Frankenstein series because, you know, Frankenstein being already dead, he could resist the rot. So he had his own army of zombies he was leading. And I was like, this was a really fun story. And the the way they built this over basically 36 chapters, 18 issues of each comic, uh, I think throwing in the zero issues too and the annuals, like this was one huge, really well-written story as a whole that I, I greatly enjoyed. Hmm. Uh, I also just because uh, checked out the second issue of Fearless Defenders. Um, the artwork was much more respectable in this issue. I, I don't know what happened to that first issue, or maybe if this was the aberration, but it, it was there. There were really no issues uh, art wise here, and you even had uh, some really good action scenes with uh, Danny Moonstar from uh, the New Mutants, and she she really kicked some butt in here without you know showing her butt, which was very very nice. Although, yeah, the story's kind of. Forget about it at this point. I, I, I thought it might have had a little bit of potential, but it, clearly I was mistaken. Hmm. Okay. And then uh, Age of Ultron number two. I, I still want to get into this. But <laughs> it's being paced so slowly at this point. I'm like, just do something. Did give me give me a reason to really like this because I want to. It just nothing's happening. I didn't read it yet. I mean, you did have Moon Knight being awesome, which, like we said, I always enjoy. But that was that was pretty much that it. Was it was okay. it was another twenty pages of waiting for something to happen. Hmm. Okay, that, that's all I got this week. That's it. Okay, I actually had been wanting to talk about the Uncanny Skull Kickers number one because we hadn't talked about it. Oh but, yeah, I've uh, forgotten I mean, about it at this point. Yeah, we're running so freaking late. How about we table it for next week? Give sounds, it the time that great. it's, and then we'll do the giveaway then. Um, so that means, folks, you got one more week. So if you're interested in that signed Uncanny Skull Kickers number one, send me an email to roger at Um So I'm only going to touch on one because, again, we're running long, and that is um, X-Men Legacy number six. 
Oh, Did you read yes. it? Oh, yeah. I've even read number seven, too. I love so, that comic. I haven't read seven yet, but six is basically the end of the storyline that's been going on with the twin kids and whatnot. And right now, him being stuck in the um, the event, or sorry, the X-Men's will be in his peeps house um, and everything that's going on there. Uh, it was really well done. Like you're seeing him here where he is getting a lot more control over each of his personalities and knowing who to choose specifically for different things and whatnot. But you're also at points still seeing that vulnerability and then that insanity that is still very much there present. Um, but overall it was a phenomenal, phenomenal series. Like I've been, I've been, or I should say issue. I'd been wondering what this would be like, because again, it's the, it's a, it's mainly just him. It, yes. It's, and that's where the titling doesn't fit because it's X-Men legacy. It doesn't fit, but it, he's the legacy of the X-Men. Well, you're, you're really stretching it there. Yes, I am. Um, <laughs> But um, but he's carrying it along so so well. Uh, really, really been enjoying this a hell of a lot. Who who's writing this again? Cy Spurrier. Spurrier, yeah, he's doing a hell of a job in the art. Well, pff. yeah, Molina doing phenomenal, and, and yeah, Hot too. So yeah, so and I, I need to look up and see how well it's selling because I really hope this is doing good because it's. It's such an outside-the-box series that regardless of how good it is, it's the kind of thing I can see getting canceled early just because not enough people are checking it out. Yeah. Well, the thing that I'm enjoying, too, is that it's showing – it's a, it's an X-Men story, but it's basically showing the X-Men from the outside looking in because he doesn't – he's not one of them. And he's even got some fairly strong opinions about them as well that come out. And then you also see that in the X-Men's actions – against him at points so it's an x-men story but you're seeing the x-men from a different perspective and i really enjoy that a lot Mm -hmm. okay so moving on to this week what we've got from marvel we've got all new x-men number nine we've got avengers number eight cable and x-force number six captain america number five captain marvel number 11 we've got daredevil number 24 deadpool if you're still reading it number six fantastic four number five hawkeye number six indestructible hulk number five iron man number six new avengers number four nova number number two which i'm gonna check out because again i was impressed enough with the first one i want to see where it's gonna go superior spider-man number six which how can you not check that out ultimate comics spider-man number 21 which is about time it's been feeling it's it's weird now having those series where it's an actual month between them <laughs> um wolverine 305 x-factor 253 and extermination number one of two which I don't know what that is. I tried to look it up and I couldn't. That's the uh, big crossover between Age of Apocalypse, Extreme oh, X-Men, and Astonishing right. X-Men. Cool. Okay. On the DC side, we got some number 18s from Action Comics, Bat- Batwoman, yeah, Batwoman, um, New Guardians, Justice League, if you're still reading them, Nightwing, Supergirl, and Wonder Woman, which you've been enjoying a lot. And then we've got Constantine number one, which I know for sure you're going to be checking out. I probably won't be liking it, but I'll be checking it out. All right. Batman Beyond Unlimited, number 14. Um, We've also got, if you're going to read them after what we had to say about them, Justice League of America, number two, and Justice League of America's Vibe, number two. And then from everybody else, we've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number 20 from IDW. Uh, I put in the Transformers, more of the Meets the Eye, number 15 for you. We got Chew, number 32 from Image. 
Invincible number 101 from Image and Saga number 11 from from Image. Are you still awesome reading Saga? Awesome week from Image. Oh yeah, my God. Strongly. <laughs> so I, I'm loving every single one of those. Yeah. So that's going to wrap it up for today. Thanks for uh, checking this out. You can, of course, see the show notes at Common Book Informer on Twitter at CB Informer. And with that, we'll see you guys next week.